Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. Uh, the next announcement, Kingdom Living full-time and part-time. Yeah. <laughs> Kingdom Living full-time and part-time applications are open. Um, wow, like, there's so many things that I can say about Kingdom Living. It's, it's changed my relationship with the Lord 100%, though, like, by far. Like, I remember going on the website and looking at everything. I was like, what is this? Like, on Oahu as it is in heaven, what is that even? Like, what is going on? Like, all this stuff. And, like, seeing the testimonies and everything, it was amazing. But, like, what really drew me in was seeing the way that they talked about Jesus. And it made me have to realize and come and humble myself that, yes, I love the Lord, but I'm not in love with him like how they are. I don't talk about him like how they talk about him. I don't see him the way that they see him. And it made me want to have more of Jesus like they had more of Jesus. So signing up for Kingdom Living, I absolutely got that. It's more than just discipleship, uh, miracle signs and wonders, and being able to experience all these crazy testimonies. It's intimacy with Jesus. And that is the most important thing. That is everything that we're here for. That is everything that we're desiring. That is everything that we want. So if you're looking for more intimacy with Jesus, then sign up for Kingdom Living, because that is absolutely a place where you can go and pursue him and follow him with all of your heart. And um, yeah, lastly, I have the honor of being able to welcome up uh, Sam Cabra. After you. It's like a surprise attack. Um, you guys hear from the Lord way faster than I do. I was going to have everyone pray for each other, and then Nina had everyone pray for healing for each other. Um, I was going to, I'm still going to have someone come up and share a kingdom living testimony, and then Matt shared a kingdom living testimony. I was going to sing that song tonight, and then, no. Um, Kylie, do you want to come on up here? Give it up for Kylie. Uh, Kylie's just going to share a testimony about t Kingdom Living, what it meant to her, and what happened. Yes. Okay, so I went to Kingdom Living full-time, so that's from September to May. Um, I just want to preface what I'm saying. Um, man, I feel nervous, but that's usually good, because then it just, every time I feel nervous, I'm like, that's you, Lord, so thank you, Lord, for being here. Um, this is one of many things that I received at Kingdom Living. It's also not something where I'm like, this is at the top of my list. It's just what I feel led from the Lord to share. So just prefacing that. And I want to read a scripture to you that kind of really sums up. I could say this and walk off the stage. It's Luke 8, 9. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. That word also, secret, is also mysteries of the kingdom of God. And I feel like that's one thing that I received from kingdom living was sitting and being in the presence of, kind of like how Matt said, like Holy Spirit, Jesus, lover, people. And I'm just like, whoa. I looked up how many verses there are in the Bible, and there's 31,000. And that's a lot of mysteries that I don't know about. And one thing that I didn't know I was struggled with before I went to Kingdom Living was pride that I could learn from the Holy Spirit, that he was my teacher. 
And it was exposed when I sat down and I was like, whoa, every person that comes and shares who's sitting on in the front of the room and speaking to me, I'm receiving the mysteries that they receive from the Lord. It's almost like a a cheat code kind of a cheat thing to be involved in because I don't have to go searching for every single mystery of the Lord because he speaks mysteries to not only the leaders but my classmates like we would share after certain homework assignments and I'll get revelation from a classmate so it's just being in the presence of the Lord amongst a bunch of people who are loving Jesus and fully going after him and man whew, if you're excited to learn more about the mysteries of God like you will definitely experience it at Kingdom Living. Let's see if I cover everything. Oh, man. Yeah, that's all I have. Good job. Good job. Thanks, Kylie. Thanks. So, Kylie, yes or no, should people go apply tonight after church? Yes. yes. Okay, there you go. You have to do it now. Uh, can everybody please stand up? Um, and we're going to get real comfortable with our neighbors. Uh, can you, yeah, exactly. Can you put your hand on their shoulder or if you're real tight, grab them by the waist and pull them in tight. Yeah. Uh, and what we're going to do for about 30 seconds is you're going to pray for a greater anointing on the, per the people on either side of you because we have to have a greater anointing. We, we love what he's doing, but we're hungry for more. There's always more. And so um, 30 seconds, just speak out blessing. Just ask for greater things in their lives. You have to pray for it. Okay, I'm not going to pray from the front. Are you ready? Go, get them, bless them. Don't forget the person on the other side. There you go. Get him. Father, greater anointings flow through this room. There's hungry vessels. There's broken vessels. That's all you want. We say yes for ourselves. We say yes for our neighbor. We say yes for the kids in kids' church. We say yes for the other churches that meet in this building. We have to have greater anointings. We have to have it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Give that person a hug. Let them know you love them. Okay. I wasn't scheduled to speak this week. Uh, Gary recommended it. And then Amy came and confronted me and told me, if I don't speak again this week, I'm in trouble. So... We never, ever disobey Amy. Um, we're going to talk about anointing again. Last week was, I guess, anointing part one. We'll talk about anointing part two tonight. Get ready for probably anointing part 36, 58. We're just going to go forever on this, I think. Um, and over the, the course of the next few months this summer, we're going to start weaving this concept of anointing and intermingling it with scripture. Uh, meaning like reading our Bible or the Bible itself and intermingling it with the com concept of worship. These are two things I just can't get past. And initially I thought, well, you can't separate anointing from scripture and you can't separate it from 
worship. But then I thought, no, you can actually separate them. And worship without anointing is just singing songs. And reading your Bible without anointing is just reading a book. And we just, that's a terrible thought to me. You know, that's, again, Matt heard from the Lord before I did. He preached my message during uh, announcements. So we're three minutes in and I guess we're done. Good job. (laughs) Last week we talked about the abiding anointing. The abiding anointing is the anointing that's in me. It's for me. Uh, It comes from my history with the Lord. And we also talked about the empowering anointing, which is the anointing that comes upon me. It's on me, but it's not for me. It's for others. It's for the works of ministry. So um, the abiding anointing, it, it manifests so that I will know him better. But the empowering anointing comes upon me so that you will know him better. Make sense? You remember this? And we said that the abiding anointing is actually for my transformation. It's for my growth. It's my intimacy. It's for my yada knowledge of the Lord. It's for me. But the empowering anointing, again, it's on me, but it's not for me. It's given so that others will encounter the Lord. Specifically, it's given for the works of ministry. It will rest on you, and it will lift when that moment is over. And we said that's why we can... Be in an environment, and I'm talking about in a ministry environment, but how many Christians are in ministry? Raise your hand. Every Christian's in ministry. Doesn't mean you work for a church, but your life is ministry. But things will often rest on us for a moment, and then we'll go home, or we'll go to school, or we'll go to our job, and it's not there anymore. It's because the empowering anointing is on you, and it lifts. Your personal history with the Lord, that's what fuels the abiding anointing, and you cannot give that away. People are like, give me your anointing, give me your anointing. You can't give them your history, right? You can't give them your abiding anointing, but your abiding anointing can actually impact the empowering anointing that's on you, and this empowering anointing actually has a pull to it, and we're going to talk about that today. The empowering anointing will often pull people in. So let me apply this to worship, because I think that we have um, the best worship team in the entire world. Hey, calm down. Was that the worship team who did that? (laughs) I don't know if I told you guys this, but when Rachel and I went to Seattle, I made a a musician joke, and I really gave it to their bass player in in good fun, and no one understood it. No one laughed. And so I, like, doubled up on it because I was like, okay, they didn't get that one, and I went even harder on this guy, and no one laughed again. And they just, I think they thought I was just a really mean person, but... I have lots of good musician jokes, just in case anyone needs some. Okay, so let's, <laughs> I don't know what, what's happening tonight. <laughs> We're going to apply anointing to the concept of worship. And this is where we've talked about in the past that you can look the part without any actual anointing on you or residing on you. And that's why you can look perfect, you can sound perfect, but it won't impact people without the anointing. It won't actually transform anyone. And an even bigger tragedy when there's no anointing is it won't move the Lord's heart. Who's worship for? It's for him. It's not for us, it's for him. And this isn't a critical statement, it's the truth. And if truth hurts, If you ever hear truth and it hurts, it means you're clinging to something that's inferior. So get ready to let go of the inferior tonight. I don't mean this to hurt, but I want to hit two sides of this coin. Uh, We're basically telling this entire generation that Christianity is fog machines. 
and Christianity is up-tempo music, and Christianity is fun prop sermons that speak to our minds instead of our spirits. And I want to tell you, you can have all the smoke machines and all the lasers in the world and the worship be devoid of life, or you can have, I don't know, a xylophone and the anointing, and it will stir people's hearts. Have you ever seen xylophone worship? Do you guys need a xylophonist? No? Okay. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with any of the stuff I'm naming, but we, we somehow think that the production is what Christianity, or what makes things Christian. We think that the production is what attracts the Lord. And I want to tell you, it almost never has to do with the vehicle. It has everything to do with the one who's on the vehicle. That's why Psalm 22.3 says that he's enthroned upon our praises. And I don't care if you have electric guitars and keyboards and drums, or if you have a xylophone and an accordion, if you are actually worshiping him in spirit and truth, he's on that vehicle. He's on that thing. Uh, we got to lose this idea that pretty is better. And we never, we never want to sell something that's inferior and then add the main thing sort of as the icing on top of the cupcake. That's, that's not okay. The flip side of all of that is I'm going to say something and don't say amen because everyone's going to want to say amen and then you'll look really dumb after I explain why I don't like this, okay? What we say is that this generation is tired of the show. This generation is tired of performance. This generation is tired of meaningless meetings where God isn't present. And I get that, but it's not this generation. It's every generation. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what scripture tells us. There's nothing new. And I've been watching a lot of some of my um, spiritual heroes this week and listening to sermons from the 40s and 50s and 60s all the way up through the 90s. And guess what? They're speaking the exact same truth we are. And I want to tell you, they were tired of the show 70 years ago. This isn't new. It's not unique to this generation that believers are unmoved by the counterfeit. If you are a believer, it's in your DNA, it's in your spiritual DNA to not approve of the counterfeit. It's every generation, and it might present differently century to century, but the dissatisfaction with lesser things, it, it's given to you by God as a holy frustration where you say, this isn't okay, this isn't where he's at, this isn't what he's upon. A thousand years ago, they were unimpressed by the counterfeit, and in a thousand years, they will be unimpressed by the counterfeit. God has never and will never utilize talent without anointing. Never. Talent is for us. It doesn't impress God. He's never impressed by your xylophone playing. He gave you that ability. It actually impresses man. And uh, years ago, Don Potter told me, he said, Sam, your talent has to support your anointing. Your talent has to support your anointing. And I didn't know what he was talking about. Just like every time he told me stuff, I was like, okay, sure. I'm not going to argue with you because you're right, but I don't know what you mean. And what he said was, think about this. Think about David. Again, I love David Brohan, but I mean biblical David, not Brohan. Think about David. He was a talented musician. His talent was music. He was a talented musician but he was anointed to be king. Yeah. 
He was anointed to be a prophetic worshiper and write the Psalms. So what he did is he used his talent, his musicianship, to support what he was anointed in. Does that make sense? Okay. Did you guys know that praise is not the same as worship? It's not. We're actually allowed to give praise to man, but we're never allowed to give worship to man. Okay, we'll talk about worship in the future. I can't wait. I love worship. I think it's the greatest. Anointing. You're, not, you're, not, you're going off track. I don't know what you guys are talking about tonight. Anointing has a pull to it. We're back on track. But talent does not have a pull. Worship is not for us. It's for him. And when we worship just using talent, it ministers to our flesh. When we worship under the anointing, it ministers to our spirits. And when we worship under the anointing, when the people who are leading the worship worship with this anointing, the anointing actually brings people along. Talent will never bring people into the throne room, but anointing will. And I've been moved by talented musicians, but I've been transformed by anointed ones. And we have to remember this, the abiding anointing, the one that's in me, it's for me, it's for my growth, for my transformation. The empowering anointing is so that others will know him, that others will recognize him. And when we worship under this empowering anointing, it actually has a pull in the spiritual. And you might not realize it, but it's real and your spirit is stirred. And the reason why I know this, um, sometimes it actually goes against your will. How do I know? Because I've seen atheists get saved during worship. Not during salvation calls during worship, but they actually gave their heart to the Lord during worship because they were in the environment, there was a pull on their spirit from the anointing, and somehow someone who hated the idea of God encounters Jesus, Jesus leads them to Jesus, and they come up to us afterwards and say, I I don't know what to tell you, I just gave my heart to the Lord, what's next? That's because of the empowering anointing that they're, they're under. Talent won't do that. Talent will stir your flesh, but anointing will stir your spirit. And this idea of the empowering anointing, it's like a covering. Empowering anointing is like a covering. And what happens is when a worship leader or a worship team begin to worship and you are under that empowering anointing that they're releasing in the room, it actually pulls you in and they're stirred in your spirit. Do you want to know why the first song of worship sets are usually very hard for people to engage? Because they don't realize they're under that anointing and it's like a fight sometimes to try to get people under that call and that anointing. But it's the anointing that brings, let me rephrase that, it's their anointing that brings you under the covering and into an encounter. It's not yours, it's theirs. And that's because the empowering anointing is for the works of ministry, like we said last week. They're ministering, they're working, and it's not for them, it's for others. Who's others? Right, we is. <laughs> we will forever have terrible grammar at reunion, I'm sorry. Some of you are thinking, what is this guy talking about? This isn't in the Bible, it's all over the Bible. Let me give you just one little example. Uh, again, David, King David, Bible David. Um, before he was king, um, there was a, a king named Saul. He was an evil king, and he was tormented by demons, by evil spirits. And while Saul was tormented by evil spirits, he would call David in and have David play music. 
and the empowering anointing on David's life actually pulled Saul into encounters. The empowering anointed on David's life actually cast demons off of someone else's life. This is why we love worship at reunion. Woo, it's the, it's the best. And then we go home and we try to worship and it's meh, right? It's okay, but it's not like Sunday night. It's because you're actually ministering to the Lord under the worship team's empowering anointing. Yeah, it's not yours. You can develop yours. Which of you are in the ministry? All of you are in the ministry. That means you minister to the Lord. That is your main job in life. You can actually develop that empowering anointing on your life for the works of ministering to the Lord and to his people. And when you develop that, there's actually a pull to the empowering anointing. Um, a lot of people in ministry will, will make a mistake of trying to get people to do things. They'll often try to get people to act or behave correctly, reading their Bible more, worshiping in spirit and truth, praying, fasting, doing evangelism. And I bet some of you in this room are wondering, how do I get myself to read my Bible more or fast or pray? And the answer is far less a discipline issue than it is a love and a devotion issue. How do we get people to read the Bible, pray, prophesy? We don't. What we want to do is to get people to fall in love with Jesus, and then the other stuff comes because that's the natural overflow of being in love. We don't get people to do things. We don't push people to read their Bible. We lead people to fall in love with their Savior, and then they want to read their Bible. Uh, one of the biggest issues why people don't read their Bible is because they're not in love. They know about love, but they're not in it. That has everything to do with the abiding anointing, intimacy. Do, do you remember what I said the cost or the price was for abiding anointing, how to increase it? Time. Time is how you increase the abiding anointing. Your, it's your history. Your history with the Lord is like your receipt. It tells you what it cost you. And it's the time that you spend with the Lord that increases this abiding anointing. And it actually increases your intimacy with him. And the byproduct of that is hunger. You don't get hunger for the Lord by not being with him. You get hunger by being with him, by being close to him, by being in his proximity. Intimacy births hunger and, it birth, and it's birthed from your history with the Lord. People think, oh, why am I not hungry like they are for the Lord? Because they have a history of the Lord. They have a long receipt of time that they've spent and cashed in with the Lord. So when we wonder, why aren't people reading their Bible? Or why am I not reading my Bible? It's probably because we're not hungry. Well, how do we get hungry? You have to feed your abiding anointing. Your abiding anointing is immature. It needs to grow. You need to develop intimacy with the Lord, and you will get hungry. There isn't a, we want the fast track. We just want hunger, but you will not get hungry without time with the Lord. Church one time a week is not sufficient to develop your abiding anointing. It won't grow. It might sustain it. It might maintain it, but you won't grow it. The cost of the abiding anointing is time. And it comes from a good heart, good intentions, in an effort to get people to read their Bibles. Uh, pastors 
will often develop church-wide reading plans, uh, Bible reading plans, and there's nothing wrong with that. We will develop Bible studies uh, so that people can go, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love our Bible studies. I, I, I'm so glad that we do that. But what the problem is we'll tr often try to get people to do things in order to create hunger. Doing things doesn't create hunger. That's the empowering anointing. That's for others. Being is for us. Being is for our transformation. Time is for us. In other words, we'll try to do things in an attempt to grow this, this supernatural spiritual hunger, not realizing that we're working counter to a spiritual law. That spiritual law is the law of grace where we don't work for things in the kingdom. We receive things in the kingdom. So let's talk about scripture. I want to challenge you several times tonight, so get ready. If you're offended, Gary, raise your hand. Go complain to Gary. He loves it. He will collect it in a box and pray over each complaint. I want to challenge you tonight. The Bible, the word of the Lord, doesn't make your hunger for the Lord come alive. The Bible, the word, doesn't make our hunger for the Lord come alive. It's our hunger for the Lord that makes the Bible come alive. I think it's the same thing with worship. We don't worship in an attempt to love him. We love him, and that grows our worship. Hunger for the Lord is what produces hunger for the word. If you want to read your Bible more, there's, there's definitely a place for discipline. And yes, um, I think you need to develop that characteristic where you are literally reading the Bible every day, if not multiple times a day. But it's our hunger for the Lord that actually creates a hunger for the word. You can do it without hunger based on discipline, but if you want to get hungry to do it, fall in love with the Lord. It doesn't work the other way around. And so when too many of us pastors and leaders think, how do we get people to read our Bibles more? The better question is, how do we get our people to want to read their Bibles more? Because which would you rather have? A, a people, a church, a family that reads their Bible out of obligation or a people who are overwhelmed with hunger and can't not read the Bibles? Intimacy with the Lord is the key. The abiding anointing is the key. Not Bible study tools, not increasing the number of chapters that we read every day. There's nothing wrong with those things. But wanting the Lord is what gets people to want the word. And the hunger for it comes through encounter. And the, the price you pay is time. That's the price, not discipline. You've heard us say up here, lovers always outwork workers. Because you will do things out of love that you won't do out of discipline. It just doesn't work like that. You can read 10 hours a day in the Bible, but if you're not reading it with love, then the word will never open up to you. Just head knowledge. Romans tells us that it's the Holy Spirit who unites us or who unifies us with the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who allows us to say the same thing that Jesus did when he said, Abba, Father. Papa, Father. It's only because we have that seal of the Holy Spirit that we can say, Abba, Father. And this is why, as Matt preached about during announcements, this is why we have to invite the Holy Spirit into our Bible reading. Listen, don't read your Bible without the Holy Spirit. That's not a suggestion. That's a command, and you'll understand why. Last week, we talked about how the abiding anointing, it actually protects us from deception. 
because it says it comes in truth. It comes as truth, and there is no lie in it. That abiding anointing, time with him, that intimacy, it prevents us from being deceived. And when the abiding anointing increases, our ability to see from his perspective increases. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is who leads us into all truth. Therefore, do not read the book without the author. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is the one who will lead you into all truth. Do you think you can find all truth without inviting him into your Bible reading? No. It's not your diligence that leads you into all truth. It's not your discipline that leads you into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit directing uh, your mind and your thoughts as you're reading scripture, you will read about truth, but you won't encounter truth. You will read things that sound good, but they won't actually transform you or change you. Scripture without the author is actually dangerous. The byproduct of reading your Bible without the Holy Spirit is death. You don't believe me. <laughs> it's like Sam has really gone off the deep end. Well, 2 Corinthians says this. It says, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Who gives life? Which spirit? The Holy Spirit. This is going to offend people. Um, good. Congratulations, you're about to drop the inferior that you've been hanging on to. Hungering for the word without first hungering for God leads to death. When people try to become hungry for the Lord, by reading the word, they become religious. But when you fall in love with Jesus and the Holy Spirit leads you into all truth as you read scripture, it actually opens it up and brings life to it. Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In other words, becoming hungry for the letter does not create intimacy with the Lord. God is love, and the book without love is death. That's what Paul's trying to say. So if we pursue scripture without intimacy, we become worshipers of doctrine instead of worshipers of God. And if we become hungry for knowledge more than we hunger for the Lord, we will become very legalistic. I'm going to back all this up with scripture. I promise you, don't get too nervous. Jesus actually encountered this with the Pharisees. And I'm going to read a fairly long passage um, for all you doubters out there. But listen, the, I'm joking. Are you guys okay? Okay. Like, wow, Sam, you steal Sam's sermon and he gets angry and makes jokes. Thank you. Jesus encountered all of this stuff with the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew the word, but they couldn't recognize the manifest presence of the one they were looking for. They knew the word better than you and I do, and they missed the one they were looking for. They knew the scriptures, but they did not have hunger for God. Was the result life or death for them? Death. We'll come back to that. Let me give you a quick example. Paul. Paul was originally a Pharisee. He went through the schooling. He knew scriptures better than you and I. He could quote probably all of the Old Testament. He knew scripture incredibly well, and he killed believers, and then he used scripture to justify his actions. So he knew the Bible better than you probably, at least the Old Testament, and then he would kill Christians 
and use his information to justify his actions. What happened was Paul was blinded by doctrine because the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The minute that Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, that's when everything changed. And he went from killing Christians to being one of the most devoted Christ followers in history. And he, he spent the rest of his life because he, of a single moment, everything changed. He spent the rest of his life worshiping and teaching and saving and planting and healing and delivering all the good stuff. Before Paul's salvation, Paul knew the scriptures. So the question has to be this. After Paul encountered Jesus, did scripture change or did his revelation and understanding of them change? Yeah, because he already knew them. It's just he didn't know love. He didn't know intimacy. He didn't know the one that they're about. In other words, he knew the book, but he did not know the author. Before his conversion, Paul is the perfect example of someone who knows the word but does not know the author of the word. Okay, I'm going to go back to Jesus and the Pharisees. We're going to talk about a very well-known story, and it's a story where the Pharisees actually try to use the word, where they try to use scripture to sway Jesus in how he thinks. So let's go to John chapter 8. It says, but Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives, Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, or sorry, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, who, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. So let me ask you a question about this story. Why did the Pharisees quote scripture? Was it to forgive her? No. It was to kill her. It was to justify killing her. And then they, they lured this dangling carrot in front of Jesus of scripture. And they wanted him to agree with them. Otherwise, he would go against the law so they could kill him. Do you see how the letter kills, but the spirit brings life? The Pharisees and Jesus knew the same exact scriptures. And yet they landed on two totally different conclusions. And I love this part. I think it's so interesting uh, let me just reread one of the, the verses from that last passage. It says, when the Pharisees heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. This woman was on trial in the center of court. They didn't bring her to the roadside. They didn't bring her to the 7-Eleven. They brought her to the center of the court. And what I want to tell you is that this is a prophetic picture of grace. 
This is absolutely a prophetic picture of grace, where in the new covenant, Jesus is our judge, and grace says that the judge rules for us. Because based on the law, based on the letter, she should be dead. We should stone her. But grace says, uh, I'm actually going to scandalously forgive everyone who comes to me, whether they deserve it or not. There, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what he did is he set her free instead of tied her down. He didn't shackle her down. He released her. And so the story of the woman who's caught in the act of adultery it's such a perfect example of why we have to develop our relationship with the Lord more than and before we develop our relationship with his word. The Pharisees had a relationship with the word. They did not have a relationship with the author. And every time I say things like this, uh, people will purposefully mishear me and say, oh, Sam says we don't need to read the Bible. We just need the Holy Spirit. No, you Pharisees, listen up. You, you do need the Bible, okay? You do need the Bible. But don't you dare try to understand it without the Holy Spirit who will bring you into all truth. You cannot arrive at truth without the Holy Spirit directing your thoughts. Why? Because that's his job. He, he guides you into all truth. That means that no truth is revealed outside of him. Partial truth doesn't set you free. Fullness of truth sets you free and brings life. And I'm probably one of the biggest proponents of reading the Bible that you will ever find. It's critical. But unless we have that relationship with the author, we can take the written word of God and use it for death. Because the letter kills and the spirit gives life. If you still don't believe me, um, Jesus, when uh, he was tempted by Satan, Satan came to him in the wilderness. Uh, what did Satan do to tempt Jesus? Did he have like a piece of cheese or a pizza or a hamburger and say like, hey, are you hungry? No, he quoted scripture. He quoted Psalm 91. The thief, the liar, the accuser quoted scripture to tempt Jesus. He tried to convince Jesus with scripture to worship him. Satan knew scripture. Jesus knew scripture. How did Jesus fight the devil in that situation? He quoted scripture. Huh, just like Satan. You mean to tell me they both knew scripture? They both quoted, it's like a scripture, like rap battle, you know? <laughs> they both quoted scripture. One used it for life and one used it for death. Hunger for the Lord is what produces hunger for the word not the other way around. And let's not get caught thinking that we have intimacy with God when really we just have intimacy with a book. Uh, we, we don't want to survive on intimacy with info. We want intimacy with the author of that information. There's people who very much know the word, but not the Lord. And they know what he said, but not the one who said it. And that will bring death. So I want to end on this thought. It's actually a challenge, and there's an application that you can take immediately after service to increase your empowering anointing. I'm actually going to tell you what Jesus wrote in the dirt. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I have no idea. I've heard some good theories. Um, this is what I want to talk about. Some of you are thriving in your abiding anointing, the, the personal intimacy that you have with Jesus. You have paid the price of time, and you just have such a, deep, or a depth of relationship with the Lord. But you want to see your empowering anointing increase. You, wanna, you feel like those things have become dormant in you when you try to minister like nothing happens. 
And that's okay because we remember from last week that God saves that empowering anointing for those who risk and who try. That's why we say you, the only way to fail is not to try. The empowering anointing is for others and it's for the works of ministry. Who's in ministry? You are. Guess what you're supposed to be doing six days a week? Ministry. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not employed by my church. Yeah, but you have family, I bet. That's your ministry. You have a job. That's your ministry. You have kids. That's your job. Some people have no empowering anointing flowing from their life because they don't have an outlet for doing. Some of you need help with that, and I can help you tonight. Do you want me to help you increase your empowering anointing? All right, it can come down to one word, and that word is serve. Serve. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Not all of us are called to be pastors or evangelists or speakers or teachers. And we, we talked a lot about this last week. We have to throw out this mentality that we only minister when we're holding a microphone. Like, that's what ministry is. It's on a stage. No. Uh, there's actually an opportunity for all of you to serve. We actually do need some help on Sundays. I'm going to explain that. And I, I want to challenge you and tell you that serving will increase your empowering anointing. Because who is the empowering anointing for? Others. It's for your ministry, the works of ministry, and it's for others. Our impressions team actually needs some help. Our impressions team, um, it's the people who set up. It's the people who do your check-in when you walk in. Uh, they greet you. They have a giving table in the back. They're the ones who clean up the church at night. They stack the chairs. Uh, they do the toilets. They do all the fun stuff, vacuuming the floors. And I know that some people think that that's below them. I know that some people think that's not big time enough for them. Whether it's stacking chairs, cleaning toilets, um, doing the offering, it, it seems very small. But that's because you don't realize that surrender is how you increase your empowering anointing. It's surrender and obedience. Serving will actually increase your empowering anointing. Stewardship will actually increase your empowering anointing. People say things like, oh, I want to be like Smith Wigglesworth, where he was riding in trains, and he was just sitting quietly, and all the people in his train car just scream out, oh my gosh, I sense the presence of the Lord. What must I do to be saved? And by the end of the train trip, everyone in his car gets saved, and he never said a word. I want that anointing. Yeah, I, I want that anointing too. But do you want to know the, the truth? The truth is, we'll never have the ability to shift a room with thousands unless we learn how to shift a room with dozens. Yeah, but I need a microphone. I need a spotlight. Yeah, the, the microphone never enables you. It reveals you. This thing does not make you more holy. Your anointing does. And what's the cost of anointing? Time. So the question I have for people is, can you shift a room by being in it? Or do you have to hold a microphone? This is something we talk to our students all the time. We go up to, um, or we have our students and our staff, uh, our full-time students and our full-time staff, when we go to Monday night part-time Kingdom Living, all the full-timers will just usually quietly go stand behind different part-time students. They'll ask the Lord, Who's, who are you on tonight? And if they sense that the Lord is ministering, I don't know, to Mia, they'll go stand behind Mia and time after time after time, just because they stand close to them, they're, they're kind of putting a pull 
they're pulling Mia under their anointing and they're praying for her, we'll watch that the person they're praying for starts has, having an encounter with the Lord. They never talked to them. They never tapped them on the shoulder. They just prayed quietly. And they're learning how to shift the room. They're learning how to steward the room. So when people say like, yeah, but stacking chairs sounds like manual labor. It is manual labor. Did, but if you want to learn how to shift the room, why don't you pray for every seat that you're stacking? Because guess who's sitting on those seats? The church. I mean, this sounds crude, but I, I mean this with every bit of sincerity I can get. When you're scrubbing toilets, why aren't you praying for the person who's about to use that toilet? Like, I'm okay with reunion being known as a place where people can't even go to the bathroom without encountering the Lord. But that doesn't happen, oops, accidentally. That happens because people are moving under their empowering anointing, and there's a pull on that. When people come into the entryway at church and they're greeted, I want them to fall back under the glory of the Lord. Can you shift a room? Okay, prove it. Carter's going to be out there tonight, and he's going to have a piece of paper and take volunteers down. Because here's the thing. If you want to get the whole train car saved like Wigglesworth, how are you developing that? Are you waiting till you're on a train car? Let me just tell you, that's a terrible way to prepare for it. I'm telling you that there is glory in the mundane and the small if you will look for him in it. If you don't, there won't be. Remember that the empowering anointing is for others. And those who want it for themselves, if, if you want the empowering anointing for me to promote my own ministry, God will either not give it to you because it's not for you, or if he does give it to you, you'll misuse it and abuse it. It will cause hurt. And the reason is because oftentimes our heart, where we have that abiding anointing with the Lord, it, our heart wasn't ready for it. We actually have to be careful about what we ask from the Lord because a lot of times, if he gave it to us, it would cause more damage than good. And I'm telling you, 95% of the time, the reason why you don't have what you're asking from the Lord when it comes to this anointing, I want a greater anointing, it's because you don't have the time put in with him. You're not earning that time, but it's the encounter through the time that transforms you. The empowering anointing is for others. So if you want... Let's say, for example, um, I want a greater gift when it comes to words of knowledge. I want to be able to just point at people and tell them uh, their social security number and their address when they were seven years old and their favorite you know, animal they had when they were a kid. But if I'm using that so that I can look good, who's it serving? But who's the empowering anointing supposed to be for? Yeah. It's upon us, but it's not about us. So if you want a chance to increase your empowering anointing, I'm going to give it to you. Um, go sign up for the impressions team. Um, obedience and serving is how you increase. Inc obedience, serving, and submission is how you increase that empowering anointing. And if you're too big for serving, I, I doubt you will ever have a very strong empowering anointing. Can you guys stand with me? We're going to close. Father, increase what you're doing. Increase the anointing on each of our lives. 
I want to I want to just pray this over you guys. Receive it if this is for you specifically. But I break off pride off of people who refuse to um, walk the walk with the Lord. He actually needs your time. He actually needs you to transform you, to shape you, to refine you. And he's actually offering you a, I don't know, a fast pass, like at an amusement park. He says, if you would just give me that time every single day, once a day, I don't care for how long, if you would just give me that time, I will cause you to love that time. I will cause you to love reading your Bible. I will encounter you through scripture if you just give me that time. Because I want your abiding anointing to increase. That's what he's saying. I want it to increase. I want to be closer with you. And I can't be closer with you if I'm not with you. And I want everyone to hold your hands out. Father, everyone who's holding their hands out in faith, give them a greater measure of the empowering anointing, the greater measure for the works of service, to serve others. Yeah, give them the desires of their heart. Bless the dreams and the visions that you've put on them, the ways that they want to minister and that they want to serve. And again, I'm not talking about ministry. I'm talking about the things that the Lord has asked you to do. If he's asked you to be a pastor, then I, I'm praying a blessing over that. But if he's asked you to be a soccer mom, if he's asked you to be a bus driver, if he's asked you to be a, a scientist or a soldier, bless that Lord. Bless that so that that ministry that they walk in, that their anointing flows through that. If you believe me, repeat after me. Jesus, I want a greater anointing. Pick me tonight. Amen. Okay. Um, I, I need your help. I need your desperate help. Can you please help me? Um, Carter, wave your hands. I'm going to have Carter go in the hallway. If you want to increase your empowering anointing, go see Carter. He's dishing it out tonight. Um, and he'll get you squared away with serving. It's not going to be like every single week for 20 hours a day. Um, it's a rotation, believe me. Um, but this is what I need your help with. I really, really, really need you guys to help me with this. We love encountering the Lord at reunion, and we want to make sure that when we encounter him, we're actually giving him the space to do it without distraction. We're going to open up the front for ministry tonight. I love you. I love you. Do I love you? I love you. But please, if you have uh, friends you want to hang out with and talk with, I'm just going to ask that you go outside because we want to protect when the Lord is ministering to his kids, when he's talking to his people, and leave this part open just for people to receive. If you're on the reunion um, prayer ministry team, if you've gone through that training with us, um, I'm just going to have you guys go around and um, just pray for people, whoever's up here. Uh, you can do that on your own. And then we'll put on some music um, just to kind of cover up the noise. But let me pray for you. Bless these guys, Lord. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their yes. Thank you for their desire for the greater things. And bless them, protect them tonight as they go home. In Jesus' name, amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.